I do feel that change is coming, but I do feel that we have an opportunity for each and every one of us to show up in the world differently. That's a great opportunity. Welcome to Insert Human. This is a show that is not for everyone. It's for seekers, people like you, hopefully, who are searching for solutions to your problems, the world's problems, and everything in between. The conversations to come are going to show you how finding the truth of our humanity is the magic key to solving pretty much anything. Between my monologues, my dialogues with brilliant guests, and your good questions, you're going to learn how to insert human into everything, and in doing so, realize a better life and one day a better world. So welcome everybody to Insert Human and to a very special conversation with two very special people, and I'm, I'm actually getting a little teary. So with me today are Julie Matheson and Melissa Yahaya. Julie, if her show hasn't published yet, but it's about to, is a spiritual, I think of her as a spiritual guide, an incredibly grounded human being here to help other human beings. She's like a human who helps humans be human. That's what Julie does. And that's kind of what I do. And that's actually what Melissa does. Melissa, you've heard about in, in a couple of my talks. And if you read my book, you've read about her. Was a profoundly impactful person in my life, particularly early on when I was struggling to sort of figure out my own humanity. And she really, she was my like angel guide for a couple of years, really helping me find clarity in terms of who I was and how I wanted to live my life. And I really attribute my quote unquote success as a human over the last 20 years to, to her. So thank you both for being with me today. I'm again, just so, so, so grateful. And we have kind of a, uh, a heady topic fueled by what's been going on over the last couple of weeks in our fair country. And specifically the number of people that have been reaching out to me with a fundamental question, which is basically how do I deal with what I see as the rift in the world, the rift in America, the division, the different points of view, the, the extreme differences of point of view. How do I process that as a human? How do I deal with the anxiety that it provokes? And then I think the third part is how do I contribute to bridging gaps between me and others, healing, if you will, the, the wounds that apparently exist, not just out there, you know, around, around the corner from where I live. And so it's a, it's a massive question, and I, I don't know that we'll come up with perfect answers, but I do know that Julie and Melissa have such a profound grounding in what it means to be human and the challenges humans face that I think what they'll have to say will be helpful to all of us. So I'm going to pick on, I don't know, let's see, Melissa, Julie, Melissa, Julie. I think I'll pick on Melissa to start with a point of view on how do we process the world right now? Like, how do you process the world? We, you and I actually talked about it earlier today. Like, you wake up every day and you think to yourself, it's a mess out there. Like, should I just go back to bed? What do you do? Well, day to day, it's different. You know, one day it's find ways to ground the best way you can. And the other days it's tuning in to trying to understand why people are on one side or the other side and trying to forge communications and sometimes being successful at it and other times it's more challenging. But it, to me, every time that happens, it teaches me what am I doing so that somebody else can, because the only <laughs> is to feel heard 
and to be really curious because I don't think you can get to a place where you really understand the common ground unless you have allowed someone to feel heard and to be able to express some of their their real reasons because you have to get to the root of things. And I think down at the root, there's where we have the common ground. But so often when we engage in these conversations, we can fly off into areas and you'll find people bringing up topics that aren't even really related just as like a a smokescreen, much like what's happening everywhere. And everything that's happening on the outside that we see on television is happening in our own lives too. You know, so it's, I think today was when I first woke up, I thought it was really, I was really out of sorts for myself. Usually I find that if I go outside in nature and sort of use my tools and, and connect, I'm very able to navigate the space and I have a lot of hope. But today I didn't until I talked to you this morning. I was just like, like I felt like I was being, like someone introduced an interference pattern mm-hmm. into my brain and I couldn't, I didn't even know. I was starting to doubt my own, you know, thoughts and how this was going to play out. I think what happened is because I had that exact same feeling yesterday, which was on the verge of despondency. And then I had the dream last night that I told you about. So I transferred it over to you. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) You. Oh, well, yeah. And, And that, you know, I do believe that everything is, it's really, like, I feel like we have to be careful because we really do resonate with everything, the television that we are. I resonate with nature. It brings me into one feeling state. If I resonate with the TV, it's another. If I'm having a political argument, it's a whole nother thing. If I'm having a dream, like I I mean, I think that's a perfect example that something's going on in my life and you pick up the dream. Right. Right. And we haven't even talked about it. So I I do think we don't really understand the power of, of resonance. So That's another thing. But I I do feel that what I've learned this week, I just would say, is that I have felt like truly this is an example of being in Groundhog Day because literally the scene is the same. It's every day the same house showing up, the same, uh, you know, the same time schedule I'm on, everything. And so I have, and I might have the same, we might get into some political discussions here at home and have you know, they get into sort of disagreements and things. And I feel like the only way I can navigate that space is to really, like I was saying, stay open and curious and, uh, and let people like express what they need to express, but be curious about it and ask, what do you mean by what you just said? What do you mean? Those are big questions. What do you mean by that? And then try to get at what is it that you want? Because when people define what they want, you again are going to reach some common ground. It's going to ask more questions about what do you mean? Because I think when we go on the surface of things, we get very, it gets right now, it's so, so heated. People get, they can't fathom. I have a hard time fathoming that we have condoned that a group of people have feel it's okay to have someone in a position of leadership who can talk the way he talks in front of our children on television who can say things about women and racial, mm-hmm. the things he said, I just, that's a character. And I have such a problem that that can be, that can take a backseat to the political scene. I just, I can't, I haven't been able to get over that and how close it is, how close the election was. That's that that many people could tolerate that leader. It doesn't have anything to do with being Republican and Democrat, it's whether you condone something like that that has been the real issue for me to really get my mind around. Right. That's my hangover for the day. 
But your, your, your point there is that you've got to poke through that veneer to understand what is, what is beneath it. And it's interesting. I was, I was interviewing somebody yesterday by the name of Julian Treasure, and he talked about when I brought up the president and his communication style and behaviors, his first reaction was he was raised in a very troubled environment. Right. He, he, he grew up in a very dysfunctional family. And I thought it was actually remarkable, impressive that Julian's perspective, it was not, it was not forgiving him, but it was recognizing that beneath the veneer of that behavior is some dark stuff that likely caused that behavior. The second thing I wanted to say, which responding to what you said is, is this whole idea of allowing people to be heard, which I think goes together, which is not allowing the veneer to piss you off, but actually being patient enough to poke through the surface to actually listen, encourage them to get to the depth of what they're trying to say, the rationale, the root cause, the source, versus simply living on or sit, you know, existing on the veneer with them and ne- almost necessarily having, having it blow up. You could argue, Chris, that part of the problem that we have today and the man who is president is a, is a byproduct of that not being done by his father right his and 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 maybe generations maybe this is a generational thing you know how how, how i don't know how far it goes things these things can go back for any of us and that when you say it's the dark side it's the stuff that it's it's the, deep down it may seem like it's so ugly and so heinous but deep down it comes from needs that were never met like those, that, in, that individual was never seen for who he was or to be okay as he was or whatever. And so that's why I think that when you've always asked me, like, how does all everything that we've gotten to have to do, like, what can we do about it? I always feel like it comes down to, we have to understand what that shadow, that dark stuff that you just mentioned really is and really familiarize ourselves with that terrain but it's something that most people don't want to do. And that's what really impressed me with you. You were one of the few guys that I knew. And I think, and, and I don't know why that is, that it's, that it's less often that males tend to sort of approach doing sort of that kind of spiritual work. At least that's what, that's what my, my experience was. It's kind of scary. I think it shows a weakness almost to, to have to reveal ourselves that way, maybe. But I think it's more common now than it was back in the day. But to be able to really want to do the work so that you can move past some of the stuff that you maybe families haven't moved past and, and to set yourself free so that you don't have to show up every day with the same reactions and the same people greeting you the same way. Right. Uh, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's so true. And, and I was thinking about a conversation that Kate and I had last night where we got into a little bit of an argument. And I know in a way it was like the old me showing up to that argument enabled by a glass of wine or two. And I, and I guess it's a way of saying to the audience, as you're trying to process what's going on in the world and you're trying to connect with people that are, we just call it different, have a different point of view perspective than you, you know, there may be a bit of work to do in what Melissa is saying and just self like understanding self, loving self, embracing the darkness that is within self to give yourself the strength to therefore have more patience and more unconditional love for the other, even when the other has a completely different 
you know, perspective on, on matters that are, that are important to you and to the, to the country or the world. So Julie, what's your, your take on, on this? Any, anything, what do you got? Well, last week I, I did a kind of poll with some friends. I called some, I just texted some folks and said, hi, how you doing? You know, people I knew were caught up in the election. I'm like, just how, how's the week going for you? And one of my favorite responses was I'm keeping my focus on my life, my family and my career and the things where I truly have a little bit of control and volition over. And I thought that was, that was my favorite answer that I got all week. And I, I just love that. I'm like, you know what, that is powerful to just reel it back in and say, okay, you know, I'm not going to deny that, that this is going on or that this is a scary week or this could go either way. But I, what can I, where can I put my energy and my focus? What can I do? And what I can do is, and what I always, what I love to say to myself and anybody who listen to me is just that, you know, I'm the only one who thinks in my own mind. And I think it's important to have an opinion about what's going on. I think it's important to be informed, but I think it's always important to come back to, to center. And I think a lot of good has come out of all this. I think I have to keep saying, okay, with COVID, you know, and with this presidency that we've had, you know, what good has come out of the chaos of it? You know, what, what systems have been broken down that needed to be rebuilt? Or that need, you know, we are going to be in a rebuilding phase. And I, I agree. I think the hardest thing about the whole week, I think we're all just in shock, but we're really still this divided. Like, I, I'm, that's what I'm in shock about. And I have to just acknowledge, yeah, like I am. I'm in shock about that. And is the way I've explained it to myself is like, have we needed, has, have people needed a spokesperson for, I don't really want to be conscious. I don't really want to, you know, deal with my reality. I don't, you know, I want to make up stories or whatever. And, and here's somebody who's doing it and getting away with that. And, and I want to believe that's okay. Like right. it's not okay. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I was talking to somebody uh, last couple of days about all this. And I said, my, my theory is there's a lot of fear in the world. Melissa and I were talking earlier today about, the idea that there are really only two emotions, fear and love, and that all other emotions are derivative of one or the other. And that the fear in the world in America, or the field, the fear in America, a large percentage of the Trump world, if you, or Trump followers, my view are, are afraid. And they're afraid at a very primal Maslow's three levels of need. So physiological, safety, security, job security, and some level of belonging. And that if pe when people are afraid, it's easy for fear to turn into anger. And for anger to, I would argue most anger is childlike. Most anger, like the, 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 the sense of anger is actually, if not childlike, really, really primal. And that when you become angry as a child or fearful as a child, you seek parental answers. You seek a mother or father saying, it's going to be all right. I'll make it better. It'll go away. There is no, there is no, you know, whatever monster in the, in the closet. And you don't expect more than that. You just want to be told that it will be okay. And so I, I think a lot of, a lot of the, the people are fearful. And I think in a way they have a right to be fearful 
because I think the country has fundamentally not delivered the support that they need, the guidance that they need, the education that they need to be ready for what the world is today. Uh, and I, it's all a long-winded way of saying that it goes back to how we interact with people that are different than us. I think it's imperative that we come to it with an understanding of where they are, which if you buy my theory, they're afraid. And, and you know, if, if you have a child and the child is afraid, what do you do? You put your arms around the child and you show the child, as I said, unconditional love and, and consideration and you listen intently and you don't pass judgment. And, and, and I don't know. For me, that's sort of the way I'm beginning to process this is I've got to do a better job hugging people, for lack of a better word, you know, virtually, virtually, at least in the, in the near term. The other thing I wanted to actually ask you, Julie, is in our conversation way back when, we, and more recently, we talked a lot about patterns. And I think it'd be great because I think this is part of the equation. You know, Melissa's, Melissa's, you know, interacting with somebody that's coming at it from a very different place probably brings up within you, not you, anyone, stuff from the past that makes the situation more volatile, more divisive, more angry, whatever. Can you just talk a little bit about, about your work in patterning and how it maybe applies to helping people deal with this stuff? I'll try. <laughs> no right or wrong. Yeah, Melissa and I were talking, yeah, we've been talking about this a lot. And yeah, I like, I like how, I think you're exactly right. I mean, we got to start with the truth and we have to start with not judging that within ourselves so that we can get at it. And, you know, what's the real heart of the matter here? And I like what you said, Melissa, about that. You know, it's like, you know, what do you really want and what's important to you? And let's try and find some common ground. It's really hard to find common ground when the hiding strategy is I'm going to make up stories and I'm going to believe them. And when you try to tell me something's different, I'm not going to, I'm going to change the subject. You know, these are in patterns. We can't get to the heart of the matter. One of the first things I do, one of my favorite steps is what are the hiding strategies that have distracted you from dealing with this? And as a country, we have a lot of distractions that keep us from dealing with the heart of the matter. What do we do about that? You know, how do you begin to sort of shift that? How do you stop hiding? Like, I think, I mean, I love the hiding phrase. I mean, I, I don't love it because it's alarming, but I love it because it's accurate. Like, how do we stop hiding from each other? How do we stop hiding within ourselves? You know? I think everyone has a right to be safe. And when I have said that to those in my family who, who voted differently than me or think differently than me, it does, when I say, look, do you believe that everyone has a right to be safe here? And who can disagree with that? And do people feel safe being here? How are we making people, are we helping people feel safe by our policies? Are we helping people feel welcome? Are we helping people feel inclusive? I think you're exactly right. I think we're so fearful and fear is a hiding strategy. A lot of times on patterns, when I sit down to clear a pattern with someone, we always list fear. Right. We also usually list low self-esteem right. or feeling our scarcity thinking or feeling like there's not enough for me. Right. Yeah. The, the fear factor, the hiding factor. And then you just said something that Melissa also talked about, which is the self, the self love factor that I think 
like our ability to meet people where they are, I think is partly based on our ability to meet ourselves where we are. And I've said this before in other ways, and Melissa really taught me everything I know, so I, I shouldn't even be speaking, but you can't love others unless you love yourself. Like you, you can't, you can't care for others unless you care for yourself. You can't understand others unless you understand yourself, you know? So maybe the task, I mean, one of the tasks is instead of looking at them, we need to look at ourselves and examine our own behaviors and our own root stuff and figure out how to get it to a place where uh, we're more comfortable with that picture. So that enables us to be more comfortable with their picture. I don't know. What do you guys think? I mean, part of me believes that the world is taking us in a direction where we are going to have no choice but to understand our humanity. In other words, we're going to have to make a giant shift. I mean, the Democratic Party is not perfect. It's deeply flawed. It's definitely gotten away from where what, what its basis was before. And it's, you know, as long as we continue to be care more about profit versus the taking, you know, humanity, taking care of others and this kind of thing, then we're going to, we're going to be, you know, it's, it's just, it's going to still continue to disenfranchise a lot of people. Right. So I think that sometimes, usually when you have a personal, when you make a personal shift in your life, like you, you all of a sudden you have a major crisis in your life and it wakes you up and right. you have all of a sudden for me, for me, when I explained in the last time we talked that when that happened, it was like, it was like all of a sudden I was living in a different world. All of my choices kind of changed. I could, you know, I, I, everything from you can tell when someone's lying to all this stuff happened to me. And I think that's what it takes. I think it's going to take some major crises for people to actually come around to caring more about how we take care of each other and our planet and how we're going to live here. Because really there's deeper issues here than just this. I mean, oh, yeah. we have really big, big issues. And so I think in some ways it's going to, it's going to be forced upon us to collectively create solutions that are considerate of how our planet's going to evolve. Yeah. Unified. It's yeah. It's funny. We depend on each other. Yesterday I gave a, a little talk to a company at uh, their request and I got into a conversation about a lot of this and about the importance of changing our own behaviors and shifting our own perspectives and embracing the collective good. And, and a young woman said to me, I, I love everything you're saying, but how do I, how do I find the motivation to actually do that? I understand intellectually what you're saying. I get it. it makes perfect sense. But within me, how do I push myself to work at this? Because it's work. And you and I were talking about nobody wants to do the work. Well, how did you do it? Well, how, how I describe what I said to her yesterday, which I wrote about in the book, is I think there are only two motivators of behavior change, mm -hmm. desperation and aspiration. Aspiration is a want. We want our country to be united. Desperation mm -hmm. is a need. If we don't reunite, this whole thing will collapse. For me, in my personal work, I had the benefit of desperation because I hit mental, spiritual, and financial, and maybe even physical rock bottom. I remember that we've talked about this the day I arrived at your door and you put your hand out and you said, your head is on fire. <laughs> And I translated that into, if I don't work on my, my soul and my spirit, I will, 
I will die of a brain tumor or I will, and, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll die an, an early death because I am not physically healthy and I'm not spirit, whatever. And so the greatest thing that happened to me in my life was I hit rock bottom. I hit what I call acceptable rock bottom. I wasn't lying on the street with a syringe in my arm, but I'd lost my company. I'd lost my, my wife. I'd lost access to my kids. I'd lost most of my assets. I literally, you know, I didn't own a salt and pepper shaker. And I had no choice but to start looking at self, looking in the mirror, looking at the truth and start peeling it apart and, and figuring out like what, who I really was versus the creature that was guiding me and how to allow that person out and how to evolve that person to, to realize my full potential and to give back as much as I could. And so long-winded answer, but I think that's part, I think what you said is exactly right, that the country is, is worried, but not desperate. Yeah. And we may get to a place where, you know, that, where that happens and all of a sudden the country takes a quantum leap in consciousness. Right. You no, know, because we're forced to. But in the meantime, for those people that like are, you know, really like you wake up every day and you're like, for me, it was like, I can't take one more day of this. I, I just can't show up the same way. Please, I'm going, I have to do it differently. That's when you ask the question, you really, you sign on, you know, and you say, this is the most important thing. And I want to become, I want to sort of change my way of showing up, my reactions and my relationships and so forth. And that's where that's where Julie's work, I think, really comes in brilliantly, is that her process is, you know, people there's people that do it in different ways, but what I like about what she does is her her book and her work in person is is very it's very compassionate, it's very safe, and it's very thorough. Like it takes it it takes the work a little bit further than I've seen people take it so that the work becomes something that you can become addicted to. It's actually fun. One of the things I love most when Julie came to visit me here in um, Rhode Island was standing in my kitchen. She was like getting so excited about her. She couldn't wait to get back and, and work on another pattern. It was like, I can't wait to clear the next one. And to me, that meant here's a woman who is freeing herself. And every time you free yourself of something that you're sort of like, it's a belief a belief that you have, whether it's your belief or something you inherited, an imprint or whatever, you make more room for other possibilities. Right. And she does it in such a beautiful and gentle way. And I've just, I, I really, you know, I know, I don't know, well, her book is something that I keep by my <laughs> nightstand here. And when I, at the end of the day, if there's something that comes up that I just like, a blind spot because we all have our own blind spots. Everybody else sees it, but we don't see it. Right. And it really helps me work through those patterns. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I would love you to sort of share. I mean, you had an experience going through that with her too. And I th think it's a special. Yeah. I mean, well, two things. one is for, for those that don't know, Julie's book is Lotus Flower Living and available in all the major bookstores, which is Amazon and Barnes and Noble, I suppose. The other thing I want to say to that is, the same woman that asked me the question about how do I motivate myself to change, part of my answer to her was also, none of this is a flicking of a switch. I think humans have this orientation towards binary circumstance, that if it's not working the way I want it, then I just do this and it works the way I want it. It's, it's a switch. Mm. And, and I, 
I think, you know, as I think about the future of America, the future of the developed world, the future of the planet, I think we all need to be thinking in multi-decade transformation time periods, maybe multi-generational. I think this idea that President-elect Biden and and Kamala are going to somehow magically clean up the chaos is frankly naive. And I think the idea of personal growth, personal development is a lifelong it's a lifelong idea. Like as far as I have come, I have a long, long way to go. As far, I mean, you know so much and have studied so much and are so grounded and and profoundly clear. And yet you too have days, right? <laughs> Where you have to reinforce. I, I, I like to think that the kids who come in are already up to speed with places. Yeah, so it may just be if they get rid of us, all of us, all folks at the world would be fine. Oh, put all the dead wood out of the place. So I don't know. I really don't know if that's going to work, but I do feel that change is coming. But I do feel that we have an opportunity for each and every one of us to show up in the world differently. That's a great opportunity. And coming from the bottom up, you can never underestimate the power of one person to spawn two, to spawn four, et cetera, eight. Totally agree. So I, so I do think these small changes that we make and the fact that new people are coming in and the fact that we're going to be very challenged and so we're going to have to force ourselves to adapt and change and unite. I mean, I, I do think it's going to, that, that possibility is there. Yeah, I did but too. I don't know. We're t- trying to solve a world problem right now. I'm well, I, yeah, and, but I think, I mean, I think what I'm arriving at is what I think what you just said, one person at a time, like, Yes, there are some macro issues with which require macro policy, <laughs> universal systems. I'm actually writing about this in, in my book, Technology is Dead, right now, that the governing body of the earth has to come together. It cannot be separate separate entities. There has to be a shared point of view about how to begin to, to manage this thing. But on the other end of that is this opportunity for each of us as individuals to contribute in whatever way we can, even if it's my simple, I'm just gonna start hugging people more. And then, you know, this other question of how, of getting more people on a path to strengthening their own their own humanity and, and in doing so, finding more self-love and in doing that, being able to love others. And, and to me, it goes back to the, the work that Julie does with people. And really trying, you know, for me, you asked my question of my, or my experience, because for the, for the audience, Julie and I worked together, I guess it was 10 days ago or so, two weeks ago, on a, a pattern that I have struggled with my whole life, which is I had this deathly fear of, of losing people specific to you and I are going to get together for dinner and at seven o'clock and you were supposed to be there at six. I assume that you've been killed. I assume that you've had a car accident or something and somehow you're dead. Anyway, the, the, the point of that is that the work that Julie and I did was profound in revealing the source of that pattern and me understanding that it's far more connected to other, other traumas in my life. And, and in doing that work, I, I think another thing that Melissa, you said, it, it frees me just by having consciousness of the pattern itself, the source code for the pattern, there's a, it's almost like the bag of rocks. I'm actually allowed to take a bag, a rock out of the bag. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not your pattern. I'm not my pattern. Or your, or your beliefs. Yeah. 
And Julie, I don't think I told you this, but since then I've had a couple of moments where I'm supposed to, you know, somebody's supposed to meet me or do something and it's late and they haven't shown up or whatever. And I'm like, okay, this is that. <laughs> and remember, what are you doing? <laughs> remember, anyway, you know, I want to go back to, I want to ask Julie the question of, as you've done, you've done a lot of work with a lot of people on this pattern stuff. Is there a pattern to the patterns? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think we need to fall in love with reality. You know, I mean, the way trauma happens, the way shock and trauma works is shocking things happen to us, you know, throughout our life, right? Especially when we're kids at a time when maybe somebody doesn't help make, explain what happened or, or explain to us, you know, what happens is something shocking happens. Mm -hmm. And then we make decisions about that had something to do with us. Like it was, I was bad or I was not smart or I made a mistake or I was wrong, whatever it is. And, and way more intricate decisions than these get made in these moments of shock and trauma. And then those become self-fulfilling prophecies in the sense that, okay, that's in our consciousness now. And we, some part of us, maybe it's buried, maybe it's not super, you know, not consciously known to us. We bury it. Now it's in our subconscious. Then we, it repeats. And then another thing that feels very similar, maybe a completely different event, happens again, reinforcing the original belief. I'm bad, I'm wrong, I'm not smart, or whatever it is. And until we interrupt that pattern and say, wait a minute, let's go back and figure out why, okay, what's the belief, first of all? What am I telling myself? And we, have, we just look around for clues. You have to be willing to look and ask, what? What is the belief I have? And usually it'll be a bunch of beliefs that are kind of working together as a huge, huge pattern that have reinforced each other. But one of my favorite things to ask somebody is what is your greatest fear about this very specific thing? And I'd love to, you know, ask our nation and, and those who, you know, any of us who are struggling with this, like what is our greatest fear about it? Yeah. And or, or and... It's funny when you were when you were talking I was envisioning the person as America and I was I was contemplating the trauma of America and how it is manifesting as fear so what is right like if America was your I'm not going to say patient I know that's the wrong word but if if America was the patient what what would America be saying to you about the traumas of its last 10, 20, 30 years? You know, is it the loss of the American dream? Is it, is it the rejection by the, you know, intelligentsia part of society? Is it the division of urban, like, is it, is it, is it feeling left out? Like what, as a child, what, what has created, what, what are the traumas for America that created the fear that is manifesting as anger, you know? Uh, I have no idea. <laughs> you have any idea? Anybody have an idea? I have a thought. I mean, just a thought popped into my head when you said that, and maybe it's a perspective. I mean, I mean, I believe that we're all carrying around suffering and traumas, and we just don't know how to heal them, or that they're even in there. It's kind of like the hidden. But um, I think we've been cut off from since I've been on the planet. <laughs> sort of that that. I don't know how to say this, but the 
I call it the right side of the brain, the uh, feminine aspect, the divine feminine, the matriarchy, the nature, it's the intuitive, it's the trusting, it's the listening, it's the, it's the self nurturing and taking care of it. It's all of that side. And there's a balance that we've, that we've moved away from. It's not, it hasn't been honored. It's been, people have been historically have been afraid of it. I mean, I didn't really realize as a woman, how just, I really kind of underplayed because I always felt like really strong. I went to an all girls school kind of thing and there was very few guys there. And it was, you know, I just felt very strong as a woman. I never, I worked in a lot of male companies before I came into advertising with you. And a a lot of crap stuff went on that I just really just kind of laughed my way through. But I kind of, as time goes on, I'm starting to realize that there was a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in here that's coming up now as a result of what's happening in this contentious environment that we're in. So I think we're all seeing a lot of stuff that we kind of tucked away because we didn't really realize, you know, what it really was or how ugly it was or how, you know, how it separated us or kind of kept people, you know, down from being all that they are. And I think now, you know, there's this really important time where we can be vulnerable. We can be we can use all those feminine aspects to heal. Right. I mean, that's just my that's just my perspective. I could be jaded <laughs> today. I'm jaded. I don't know. No, I mean, I mean, I I completely agree, and I think you're seeing pockets of recognition that empathy and intuition and the right side of the brain, the feminine, what have typically accrued to the, you know the female gender our requisite skills. You're certainly seeing this in, in research around leadership. Uh, the top countries in the world as measured by citizen happiness are all run by women. And, and, and it's possible that a, a, a piece of the division right now is, is a male fear of loss of control, that they can, they can smell or, or feel, ironically, the emergence of this area that has not been, call it a, either a strength or even something that they appreciated. And that may be, that may be a part of it for sure. Julie, you have a, you have a point of view on, on, on that? Traumas, fears, America? Yeah, I, I took the words right out of my mouth. Uh, and well, so thank you for your kind words about my book. I didn't have a chance to say that. I, it means a lot to me. And Yeah, I think that that has definitely been in some of the articles I've been reading about the greatest fear is that in so many years from now, the white, the white guy is going to be a minority. Right. And, you know, extinction is probably like, you know, greatest fear is usually exaggerated fear. And, you know, I guess what the thing I've been asking the white guys in my life is, you know, will that be so bad, you know, to share the power? And to share the worry and to share the strain and share the, share the burden a little bit. You know, aren't you ready to share the weight of the world on your shoulders? You know, it can't be all good for you guys. Yeah. I mean, logically, that makes perfect sense. I think emotionally, you know, we're brought up to be hunters. You know, we're brought up to be self-sufficient. And a piece that I read in The New Yorker recently, really, really well, well-written piece, talks about uh, the idea of, of individualism and freedom, which are, call it American tenants, is actually counter to the idea of the common good. And so if you so, so combine individualism and freedom with machismo, or machismo, I always get that wrong, 
and then you you hold that up against common good. No wonder common good is viewed as socialism. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's just kind of crazy. Kinda well, crazy. it's a balance. You know, it's a balance of everything. It's this black and white thinking doesn't really work very well for us. It's a it's a balance, and you know, our police department is set up that way. You know, socialism or a fire department, you know, a lot of times, a lot of communities, they're volunteer fire departments. And, you know, you know, we all pay or we all support that and pay into that. Right. It's yeah. not that, you know, and a lot of the things that we're so divided on, we're only divided because they become so extreme. Like we could, I liked what you were saying earlier, Melissa, about just like getting back. What is, what do we both want? What do we all want? You know, we want to feel safe. We want to have freedoms. We want to, we want, to be, we want to be who we are here. We want to be it to be okay. But I don't think, you know, not all, not all behaviors are okay. You know, the thing I bump up against is, okay, I want to, there's, there are people in my life that want to act really badly. They want to get unconditional love for the behavior they have, no matter how badly they behaved. And it's like, no, you know, there are rules. Yeah. And there are some behaviors that are functional and okay. And there are some behaviors that are chaotic and not honest and not should not. And I think we have to push back on those behaviors. You know, behind every bully is a bunch of codependent people who have allowed it to happen. And, you know, it's a vulnerable thing to go up against somebody who is speaking out of turn or who has, you know, a radical idea and, and say, you know what, that's not, that's not okay. Like we, you know, I always say to my husband, it's like, God, love me enough to tell me when I have a misperception about something, like, you're not going to do it. Who's going to do it? You know, I think we have to be, it, it, it takes a lot of vulnerability to stand up to somebody and say, no, this behavior, you know, I do love you unconditionally, but I don't have to love bad behavior unconditionally. I don't, I won't. Right. And I don't, that's not fair to you if I do that. I think the idea of balance, we have to, we're mindful of the time, we have to wrap up. I think the idea of balance is a really great way to summarize a lot of what we've talked about, which is as, as we as individuals seek to meet people in the middle, find a way to connect with people that are in very different places than us, understanding that there is a middle, that it doesn't mean going to where they are and doesn't mean that your job is to convince them of where you are but it's to try to find a middle ground. And what Melissa said earlier about like doing it, they want to be heard, allowing people to be heard without the quick judgment that I think so many of us struggle with. I think the other thing for me about the middle or the balance idea is recognizing that I think we sit here thinking about them and frustrated about them and angry at them. And when in reality, we need to also look at ourselves. So it's, it, it too is a, is a two-way street where the middle represents our ability to get stronger in our own understanding of ourselves and find a strength of conviction and love and compassion for ourselves in order to be able to do the same for them. That, that breaking the habit of those people are all screwed up and replacing it with how can I how can I become stronger? How can I become more loving of self in order to become more loving of others? 
I guess the last thing I'd throw in there, which you both talked about is how do we help ourselves? How do we, how do we help work through the trauma? Cause I think, I mean, I think one of the ahas of this last 45 minutes for me is the entire world has trauma. I'm guessing there are very few individuals that walk the earth that haven't had some form of trauma. It, it, would you guys agree? One pattern at a time. One pattern at a time. I mean, yeah. I think we can, I, I think the greatest thing is to be able to work on your own patterns and it does change your perspective. And that is my whole shtick is, <laughs> you know, one pattern at a time on yourself. It's liberating. It's thrilling. When you're able to, it's, it's a, it's the only control we have really is to heal our own lives. And I'd love to start a revolution on getting people focused on their patterns and, and you know, how much they can do and how much they can change your perception. I mean, it's until you start unraveling stuff, you don't realize sometimes how wrong you have it. Like I, it's exciting to be wrong, really, when, especially when your perception is causing you pain. Like, it's great. I'm like, oh, my God, I was wrong about that. Thank goodness I was, because it's really like this. And oh, yeah. Well, it's funny. You just said something back to the woman that said, you know, that I just need to focus on the things I can control, right, in dealing with all this stuff. One of the things you, we can all control is our own, our own work, right? Like, we can decide or not to decide to start digging into the patterns that are perhaps getting in the way of our ability to understand others, to engage with others, to, to not get triggered by others. Melissa, you have, you have something to say? Let's cut you off there, I think. Oh, no, no. I, I, I was just picturing this like inventory of all these beliefs that we have that were meant to be beliefs at a, you know, a time in our life maybe, or maybe they were misconceptions and they were based on fear or something. But they're just sort of sitting there and they're just like, there's just like inventory of this huge inventory of these ideas that now when they come up, we have this opportunity to say, does that serve me right now? Does that serve my world right now? Does this, this place right now? And, and can I, can I now what, now what's my belief now, now today, what's my belief? Oh, and then all of a sudden now your inventory is reduced by one <laughs> and then, you know, tomorrow by two, it's really, it's really undoing undoing you know looking at things that come up that when you when you engage with people then you you say wow that that thought that i have is now up for revision right right you know so the simple answer is of of what to do about them and the divide is really what to do about us and the divide almost within us you know i i think that's i mean for me that's a that's a clarifying call to action of sorts that you know, keeping, keeping working on self is probably the best thing we can all do. And the more of us that do that, the more almost de facto we will come together, the more the divide will lessen. So with that, I will let you two go. I want to thank you both for, again, just being who you are, for the work that you do, the, the effort that you have put in to understand how to help people. You both helped me tremendously in a bunch of different ways, and I'm grateful for that. And I'm sure we'll be chatting soon. So thank you for being on the show. I love you both. Thank you. Thanks, Chris, for having us. <laughs> Keep it up. Thanks for listening today. If you're in search of more opportunities to realize positive change in your life or work, and you find what I have to say helpful, you can always subscribe to my show, check out one of my new salons, or weekly virtual gatherings of like-minded folks, 
You can read some of my writings or just listen to one of the talks that I've given around the world over the last couple of years. And you can do it all at chriscolbert.com. While you're there, make sure to sign up for my ongoing email updates. When you do, you'll receive a free copy of the first chapter of my about-to-be-published book, Technology is Dead. Again, it's all available at chriscolbert.com. Thanks again for listening today, and I look forward to connecting more in the days ahead.